Hello and welcome to Switch Your Money On from Hargreaves Lansdowne. I'm Susanna Streeter, I'm the Senior Investment and Markets Analyst here at Hargreaves Lansdowne and I'm with Sarah Coles, our Senior Personal Finance Analyst. And Sarah, the sun has been shining intermittently and I've been busy gardening, which is very unlike me, I have to say. My garden is usually wild, but I splashed out on some handmade wooden planters at the front. They were not cheap and it's partly because the price of timber has been so volatile. Lumber has rocketed and then dropped back again three times over the past year. So I'm thinking that rather than flowers, I should have planted some veg in there instead to, to make up for how much they cost. <laughs> well, I wouldn't count on it. I, I tried to grow tomatoes last year and I ended up with about five of them and some really, really, really well-fed snails. So this year I'm definitely going to give it a miss. I'm hardly going to go into the garden this year because my neighbours have started a massive renovation project. And with all the kind of banging and shouting and all the rest of it, it's just not going to be a relaxing place to be. Doesn't sound like it. And you're not alone in living in the shadow of home improvements because our research has shown that 29% of people spent at least some of their lockdown savings on home improvements. Did you spot that? Stat. So there have been skips in driveways across the UK for months, it seems. But while it's been a boom time for the building and renovation sector, it's had its fair share of challenges as well. And volatility in the price of building materials has really added to supply chain challenges. And it's really been causing a headache for the construction industry and the companies that supply materials for the growing army of DIY enthusiasts out there. So what are the prospects for the sector? Well, that, in fact, is our focus of our podcast today in an episode we're calling Hammering Home. Will the DIY boom last? So we'll be talking to Phil Lidgerton, Managing Director of Building Materials Nationwide. Hi, Phil. How are you doing, Sarah? All right? Very good, thank you. I think um, I'm, I probably am the least likely to use any of your products um, of, of all of us. So apologies for my ignorance. Don't worry, <laughs> I won't hold it against you. Don't worry. So we'll also be talking to Sophie Lund-Yates, our lead equity analyst, who's been looking at which companies have been building up sales following the surge in demand for DIY over the past year and some of the headwinds facing the sector right now. And we'll hear from Emma Wall, our Head of Investment Analysis and Research here at Hargreaves Lansdowne, who's been talking to Alex Wright, Manager of the Fidelity Special Situations Fund. And don't forget the quiz, of course. I'll be testing our knowledge of decoration trends, taking a bit of inspiration from some of the paint nail screws piled up alongside me in the broom-covered studio, which does uh, spend most of its time as either a boot room or a DIY store, I kid you not. But will you be able to nail these questions, Sarah? Yeah, the puns are getting, they're flowing thick and fast today. They certainly are. But first, let's look at the overall volatility of prices of just some of the raw materials used by the trade and by DIY enthusiasts. Lumber or wood used for building, for example, has been on a real roller coaster ride over the past two years. According to the National Association of Home Builders in the United States, the volatility is at its highest level since records began in 1947. It seems that we're breaking lots of records at the moment and that was of course just after the Second World War. The monthly change in softwood lumber prices averaged 0.3% between 1947 and 2019 but since January 2020 the monthly change has averaged 12%. So that volatility with prices dropping and rising dramatically is really causing a big headache for the industry which has also had to deal with an average price rise in construction materials of almost 16% last year. Yes and demand for home improvements but using all these materials has gone through the reef too. So research by Rated People found that demand for home improvements had risen 50% in two years. 
And that's partly because we're spending an awful lot more time at home than before. So people are doing work to create more space for the family. And they're also after a new look to try and kind of relieve the monotony of being home all the time. This has really boosted demand for tradespeople. And a combination of this and those increased materials prices means refurbishment projects have rocketed in price. They're up 40% from the start of the pandemic. And this has had all sorts of knock-on effects. Uncertainty over price rises is leading to contractors to think twice before entering contracts. Some construction suppliers will only hold tender price quotes for 24 hours due to spiralling price inflation, according to the Construction Leadership Council and the Builders' Merchants' Federation. Now, both industry groups are warning of a shift in the balance of demand. Some regions reported a decline in retail sales for DIY and home improvement products, though this was compensated by higher volumes of trade sales. Higher crude and gas prices are also of concern given that it's in an energy intensive sector with expectations that higher prices will be passed on and add into this volatile mix COVID shutdowns in China. Industry bosses are also worried that the conflict in Ukraine as well will affect the price of paints and coatings and possibly their availability in the coming months. Yes, and of course, we have to bear in mind the influence of the property market on this sector too. So during boom times like the last couple of years, people can see the value in investing in their property. And there are a few things behind this. So some of it is people moving and so deciding to renovate their new home. And some is also that people calculate that it's cheaper to kind of extend or improve their property rather than trade up. And some of it comes down to people just seeing their properties as more valuable and and so deciding they're worth investing in. So data on the number of planning applications for extensions and home improvements revealed that in the 12 months to last September, the number of applications was up a third in a year and up a fifth from typical pre-pandemic levels. If the property market was to slow down, it could have a knock-on effect on the demand for DIY and renovations. And if you look at the most recent house price data, you'd be forgiven for thinking there's just no chance of that because the nationwide house price index recently showed the average house price hit a record high of £265,000, which is up £33,000 in a year which is an enormous leap. But Sarah, do you think over the coming months we are likely to see demand and price rises slow down? That's definitely a possibility. So property prices, they've been pushed up partly as a result of sort of pent-up demand. Supply has been really thin on the ground. So those who've chosen to use any of their lockdown savings as a deposit on a bigger property, they really help boost demand for new property coming to the market. But there will come a point in time when this demand is sated. And Supla figures show that supply is rising and demand is dropping back slightly. And while it's still quite high for the time of year, it's not going to keep pushing the market onwards forever. And at the same time, these higher levels of inflation mean we could see more buyers start to ask whether actually now is such a great time to buy. Of course, the employment market plays a part in this too. So it's been supported by the really you know higher levels of employment and lower levels of unemployment. But wages aren't actually keeping up with runaway prices. So buyers are more likely to think twice about stretching themselves to buy even more expensive properties. And then, of course, the final piece of the puzzle is sentiment. So while prices are booming, people have the confidence to pay more for a new home. And then sort of price rises become this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. When demand starts to drop away, the rising cost of living starts to buy all mortgage costs rise significantly. Then price rises are going to slow. And this, in turn, is likely to dent enthusiasm for the market and persuade more buyers to step away. Yeah, it's interesting because already in the US, home sales have fallen back despite expectations of a rebound from January. And in recent weeks, in expectation of a further cooling market, the price of lumber has actually dropped pretty dramatically. So 
told you it was volatile. So let's take a reading right now on the pressures affecting the sector with Phil Ligerton. Hi there, Phil. You're Managing Director of buildingmaterials.co.uk. So tell us a bit more about your business then, Phil, and what the past year has been like. Yeah, the past probably two or three years have been fun to say the least. If you specifically timber you're talking about there, that uh, just to reaffirm what you're saying has been up and down all over the place. Clearly, we had the issues coming out of the Far East with uh, container prices. I think at one point, an, an average container was something like $1,500 for a container from the Far East. I heard crazy prices of going up to something like $15,000 to get a container over. They were getting held up in ports. There was all the issues with Brexit going on. So timber alone was just ridiculous for us. You didn't really know what was going on from one day to the next. Now, we're in a a reasonably good position in how our business model operates is we have the ability to buy for a number of different sources. So maybe a contractor or a a DIY uh, person was looking to buy, I don't know, 100 sheets of OSB board. They'll ring the local merchant who they've rang for three or four years and got the materials from. They just couldn't get the material. We get the call and we're in a position where we may ring 5, 10, 15 merchants to source that product. But on the back of that, you might get 5, 10, 15 different prices. So it's been a real challenge for us, Um, certainly from a pricing point of view. When you look at the website, you display a price. And let's just say, for instance, you display a price of £10 for an item. We may take that order at £10 and then we're trying to physically source it. And because we might get the order on a Friday, there may be a difference in price on the Monday we're struggling to buy at the right price to allow us to trade. So it, it was a real challenge with the, the website prices. Internally, we do a lot of trade business. So you get a lot of tradespeople ringing in or you, you'll get a retail customer ringing in as well. They'll have a basket of goods. We'll, we'll, we'll go off and we'll work out the price of that. Come back a week later and potentially, and you know, there might be 10 items in the basket, Six of those items might have gone up in price by 20%. It would got to that point on some instances on certain products. And then you've got the haulage issue as well. You know, haulage, getting materials from A to B. And I suppose you still have to be extremely careful with the prices because although you might want to put a higher price just to make sure you're not caught out, then you could see customers going elsewhere. 100%. We're all in the same boat. Ultimately, everybody's in the same boat, but there aren't going to be nuances depending on where you are in the country, how well you buy, and a whole other host of factors, but 100%. We've got to be very careful with it. We don't want to be putting an item that was £10. You can go online and it might be £15 somewhere, it might be £9 somewhere else. It is a real challenge keeping up to date with that. And of course, the customer wants the best experience. The expectation now from the customer, he sees the item for £10 on the website, he wants a delivery in Inverness, We've got to get that item there at Inverness for £10. That's what we're displaying. So the demands of a customer have definitely increased over this period as well. And with the the sort of volatility of the prices, does it mean that you're having to absorb some of these extra costs? We have to make a commercial decision that that if an order, if we take an order, we have to make a commercial decision. Can we actually supply that order? I get things landing on my desk saying, look, we've taken this order. We did this quote a week ago or two weeks ago or a month ago. This is what the price is now. What are we going to do with it? And we have to make a decision, a commercial decision, on what we're going to do with that order now. Yes, 100% we have had to absorb certain price increases. But again, we've had to adapt our model when we're talking to customers now to say, look, 
we've just priced you on, I don't know, 500 sheets of OSB board. This is the price today. We can only hold this for maybe maybe a week, maybe two days, because we know we know there's likely to be issues with this product. So we are absorbing where we can, but we're also becoming more careful on the wording we're using when we're doing a quotation. Have you ever known anything like this before? Not to the severity that we've got now. I remember a time probably 10 or 15 years ago where there was a plaster shortage and I ended up having to import some plaster in from Ireland. But no way is it anything like we've got at the moment. I mean, I'm just looking at some of the price increases that we've got coming up. You know, one of the insulation suppliers, we've got 32% increase on an insulation product, a high moving insulation product on the 1st of July. One of the plasterboard suppliers, 18.75% increase on standard plasterboard on the 1st of July. That will be in place of increases already had this year. We're being told, expect more increases later in the year. Well, I don't ever remember a time on just those two products alone where A, they've gone up so much and B, you've had three increases in a year. What about the demand side then? As we see these prices shooting up all over the place, as you're saying... Are you seeing a drop-off in demand or do you think still uh, people and the trades that you're working with are pretty resilient? I think the demand is an interesting question. If we were doing this yesterday, I would have said definitely we're seeing demand increase just by the pure numbers that we're talking about in terms of invoices we're raising. But I had a conversation with a, a supplier this morning and he said to me, he said, yeah, but you are seeing an increase in the numbers that you're doing. And that's just purely inflation. When you're looking at the the sheer volume of material, it's actually not a huge increase in the volume of material that gets sold. When you look at the construction sector, there are so many different products, aren't there? It's not, it's not like if you're going to buy clothes, it's all fabric. There are so many construction materials and they're brought in from the, maybe the Far East or America, they may be manufactured in the UK. There's a whole mixture of different things that could come together. You're talking about sort of um, price rises already expected in July. I mean, sort of looking further ahead, do you see any time of this changing? Or are you just sort of looking down the barrel of more inflation? We just don't know. We just don't know. My gut instinct is that it's not going to end in July. It's going to continue. Obviously, there's, there's external factors like what's going on in Ukraine. Brexit is still having an effect. It's not going to surprise me if this certainly continues for the rest of the year, what the following year brings will, will be anybody's guess. My gut instinct, it will probably continue into the new year. So no end to the turbulent times in sight just yet then. So great to have you on the show. Really appreciate your time. No problem. If I can just say one other thing as well is that if you are looking at a, at a refurbishment or you're looking at a DIY sector or whatever it may be, you need to be looking at things well in advance where... You know, two years ago, you could have ordered something on a Monday and you'd have it on a Friday. You need to be doing things, certainly for something like bricks, maybe two or three months ahead. Great tips for our listeners there, thinking about possibly undertaking a DIY project, although it certainly seems to be a bit of a headache right now. So let's bring in Sophie Lungates, our lead equity analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Sophie, you've been looking at some of the listed companies operating in the sector. Tell us more. Hi, Susanna. Yes. And I, I also have to say that um, as someone currently living on a building site in the middle of a renovation project, that was all um, hitting very close to home. Um, we've had many heated discussions here about the cost of plywood. But looking 
you know, away from my house and, and looking at stocks specifically, I was going to start with a US name today for a bit of a change, the home improvement and hardware retail chain Lowe's. So according to 2020 figures, it serves about 20 million customers a week across the US and Canada and has annual sales in the region of $90 billion. So just to give you an idea of scale, it has over 2000 stores and 300,000 associates. So, you know, massive operation here. The pandemic saw the market react positively to the stock as you as you would imagine, you know, it's been buoyed by the increases in, in DIY thanks to lockdowns. But whether that praise is sustainable or warranted is an interesting one. I personally think that for the next couple of years, at least, Lowe's is in a good position. The mushrooming interest in home improvement seen over the pandemic will be a source of longer term customers. So certainly some are going to put down their spirit levels forever, but a decent chunk of people that picked up a hammer for the first time are likely to keep coming back thanks to these new skills that they've learned. And kind of looking at analyst estimates, revenue and profit growth is expected to slow, but not stop. Um, And I also think it's worth remembering that American houses are generally much younger than those found in Europe. So that means that as they age, there's a potential pot of longer term growth as owners look to, to renovate. But what I will say is that for all the strengths, there is no getting away from the fact that it is a brick and mortar retailer. So that puts a lid on how excited I'm prepared to get when, when looking at the very long term. So that's very much the view of uh, one company in the United States. But what about here in the UK? I'm thinking about Kingfisher. Uh, what's your take there? Yes, can't really do this podcast without talking about um, the B&Q and Screwfix owner, both <laughs> places I've been frequenting a lot lately. In all honesty, the sentiment is quite similar. The pandemic came at a time when the group was facing a lull and then came this big DIY sales boom you know, that, that we've been talking about today. And to its credit, Kingfisher has taken the opportunity and run with it. It's managed to gain market share thanks to a heady combination of better product availability and pricing um, and a better digital offering as well, which is obviously a big one. A bit like with Lowe's, I think there are longer term growth drivers at play. And as with any retailer right now, be aware that ongoing supply chain and and wider economic disruption could cause some ups and downs in the short term. So that's very much the kind of DIY. But what about when you've actually put the walls in and you want to furnish uh, your new abode? What stock should we watch? Yes. So obviously, just well, in my opinion, anyway, just as important um, to round off this week's retail trifecta, I need to talk about Dunelm. So as you're saying, it wasn't just home projects that we went after in lockdowns, but we have a newfound appreciation for our homes. You know, we're all spending just a huge amount of time in our homes now. um, And we certainly spruced them up over the last couple of years. So for Dunelm, revenue jumped over 26% last year to £1.3 billion. um, And that's expected to climb to about £1.5 billion this year. And then looking further ahead, the majority of Dunelm's 175 or so stores are located in retail parks, so out of town areas, which we know are faring better than city centres. And as much as there's a debate to be had about the future of retail, some physical stores will, I think, always be wanted. You know, if you think about it, sofas, curtains are the kind of thing people want to look at in the flesh. But Dunelm has also worked hard to secure a stronger home delivery proposition. So that's obviously a serious benefit as, as the world does become more digital. So kind of the best of both worlds there. And this is pretty remarkable too. The group has a net cash position of £129 million. Not bad going for a retail operation, a physical retail operation. And that is partly thanks to improved buying and inventory management. There are a lot of of things to like about Dunelm, in my opinion. But, and this is a bone of contention on the team, um, to be honest, whether you agree with that or not comes down to your own opinion on the future and stability of retail. 
Thanks, Sophie. It's, it, it is interesting to see the kind of breadth of those retailers who could benefit from this renovation revolution. But now I'd like to bring in Emma Wall, our Head of Investment Research and Analysis here at Hargreaves Lansdowne. She's been talking to Alex Wright, Manager of the Fidelity Special Situations Fund. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks, Emma. So we're here today to talk about home improvement, home building. Everyone's been at it in the pandemic. They've been sitting in their houses, looking around, thinking, what can I tinker with? But we've also had recently considerable price rises in inputs due to trade associated with the pandemic. And additionally, the war in Ukraine having impact on soft commodity prices. So we know what some of the difficulties being presented to those who are potentially looking to import these prices. What about the investment opportunities that come from that? Because I know you've got a couple of home improvers and home builders in the portfolio, haven't you? Yeah, that's correct. Um, We've got quite a large position in Kingfisher in the portfolio, as well as owning uh, both of the um, Irish house builders, uh, Cairn and Glenvay. And when you're looking at a stock such as Kingfisher, for you, what are you analysing in terms of the growth opportunities? So I think there's two interesting things happening at Kingfisher. Obviously, there's been a very unusual period through COVID where you've seen a bit of a boom in DIY sales. And I think that is now coming off because clearly when people weren't able to to go to other stores, um, DIY stayed open as an essential retailer in the UK and people did more work to their homes as they couldn't eat out in restaurants or, or go on a holiday. And, and it's natural for that to decline, and that is very much expected by us and external commentators. I think what people are missing, though, on Kingfisher is two things. First of all, the, the do-it-for-me was actually quite depressed during COVID as people didn't want um, tradesmen to come into their house. So actually sales there in 21 for those markets were still down on pre-pandemic and are now recovering quite strongly as people do want to do larger projects that maybe they planned Um, last year during lockdown, but weren't able to enact. And then I think much more importantly, um, in keeping with the rest of the fund, there's quite a big internal turnaround story going on at Kingfisher, which has really been masked by recent trends, because the new management team only took over in late 2019, just before the pandemic. So the good work they were doing was really masked by these very volatile COVID trends. So they've been able to take quite a bit of market share really reinvigorate the the business after previous problems where they were losing market share. And Kingfisher have gained quite meaningful market share, growing about twice as fast as the market over the last couple of years. And that really isn't really being priced in. So actually, that's the more important thing for me, the fact that I think actually this has moved from a market share loser over the the previous five years before COVID to a a market share gainer going forward uh, in my eyes. And what about the threat of e-commerce? Because ultimately, Kingfisher is a retailer and e-commerce, we have seen absolutely divide retailers the week from the chaff. Those that embrace it, that digitalise, have done well. And those that have fallen behind the curve have not. Presumably, DIY stores are slightly insulated from that. But does it have an impact? Yeah, so e-commerce is is important across the whole um, retail chain. Um, And so you're you're definitely right, sort of many retailers have have really fallen where they've been slow to embrace e-commerce and and they've lost market share to online-only rivals. There definitely are some online-only rivals. Man O' Man is a, a particular example in the UK of a marketplace model. I think the good thing about DIY is a lot of it is because you want to do something 
pretty much right now. So if it, you get to the weekend, you want to do a, a small project, you kind of want the stuff now. You don't want to, to wait um, a day or two or three days for, for delivery. And also a lot of the goods tend to be quite bulky. So again, delivery is very expensive. And if you're doing DIY, you're generally more conscious than if you're getting a tradesman to do it. So again, you don't really want to pay those delivery charges. So certainly in DIY, Online is a much smaller percentage of the business because people want to go and pick up. Even in formats like Screwfix, where people tend to order online, they tend to then go to the actual physical store to pick up the goods. So again, to get it straight away. So I think that's the the key thing about their marketplace. Not only do they have quite a good online offer with Screwfix and an improving one um, with B&Q, Kingfisher also owned the DIY.com domain name, which has an awful lot of traffic. Looking then more broadly at other property trends, and in particular property purchases, I know you do have exposure to house builders, but I believe that has been reducing over time. We have seen quite strong house price growth in the UK, which has surprised people given that there are sort of economic headwinds still around, inflation not quite recovering or out of the threat of the pandemic and associated lockdowns. Why do you think the house market has been so robust and and are you playing this through the house builders in the portfolio? The UK housing market has been very robust and the robustness of it through the pandemic wasn't a particular surprise to us. And indeed, we had quite a lot of exposure to that trend at the time because consumers had an awful lot of savings and they obviously weren't able to use those on a lot of things through the the pandemic. And they were spending a lot of time in their homes as well. So clearly people's value of um, the home environment was at a higher level than it had been historically. People increasingly sort of structurally looking to to work from home sort of at least one or two days a week. So wanting more space, kitting out home offices, etc. Or, or just wanting to buy a bigger house that made that possible. I do think it's a bit more nuanced now because you have seen that that high house price growth. Um, houses obviously become a bit less affordable. And then also, obviously, you're starting to see interest rates rise now as well, which increases the cost of mortgages in the UK. So we have cut back some of our UK house building exposure. That had done very well. So we, we sold out of LSL, which is an estate agent, and Red Row, a UK house builder. And we've just continued to keep our holdings in Ireland. And the key difference there is that house prices to income are much cheaper in Ireland. Actually, almost half actually if you look at price to income so more like three times compared to six times the average income in in ireland um, and then also interest rates aren't rising in the eurozone um, yet while they are in the uk so similar desire for extra space good savings built up in ireland like in the uk but th- those two positives that you don't see in the, the uk housing market anymore after the big price rises that we've seen here alex thank you very much thank you Well, that was Emma Waller, Head of Investment Research and Analysis at Hargreaves Lansdowne, talking to Alex Wright, Manager of the Fidelity Special Situations Fund, and that was recorded on April the 12th. Please bear in mind that these are the views of the fund manager and are not individual stock recommendations. You're listening to Switch Your Money On from Hargreaves Lansdowne. And finally, it's time for the quiz. And Susanna's been delving into the greatest interior fashions of all time. So I'm personally hoping that some of the more questionable 1990s design choices of the people who used to live in my house make a comeback. So then I can avoid doing any more DIY. Well, you have to wait and see, Sarah. And I now imagine your home is a riot of sponge painting and sun and moon decor. Am I right? 
It, it was quite similar, yes. <laughs> but it does sound like you didn't get up to much DIY during the lockdown, Sarah. However, you are in the minority. According to a Mintel survey, during the lockdowns of 2020 and 2021, most people turned to DIY to pass the time. But what percentage of people got stuck into home renovations? You have three choices. They are coming up. Was it 64%? 74% or 84%. <laughs> I can't believe most people did it. But you're right. I didn't pick up a paintbrush once during that time. Cause I suppose because my lockdowns were kind of all about homeschool hell. It's so weird. Everyone's being so productive. Okay, I'll go for 64%. I'm sorry. It was 74%. So almost three quarters of people went for a home makeover during lockdown which actually does sound a bit more fun than homeschooling. And actually, I'm sure it definitely was because I was also mired in homeschool hell as well. But I have a sneaky suspicion that quite a lot of that was probably repair after DIY botch jobs. But anyway, sticking with home renovation, the FT did a survey of how people would use their bonus in February this year. And one in 10 people said they planned to spend it with the top three answers, going on holiday, home improvements and buying a new home. But what order did they give them in? And which one was the most popular answer, do you think? Oh, blimey. Well, I can't imagine many people get a bonus that's big enough to buy a house with. Um, so I'll put that last. I know everyone's desperate for a holiday, so I'll put that first, which puts home renovation in the middle. I'm sorry, no. Home improvements was still actually the most popular way to spend your bonus in 2022. So this year, followed by buying property and then a holiday. So you didn't get any of those right. But it does show that actually we're still real fans of DIY. OK, we are now going to go back in time for this next question. But to the Victorian era, when a particularly bright green wallpaper was considered the cutting edge of fashion for a few years. But then it dropped out of fashion. But why did Queen Victoria announce she hated green? Did William Morris decide to move on to pink? Or did the wallpaper get a reputation as a killer? <laughs> you didn't expect those, did you? <laughs> no, I really didn't. Well, I, mean, I suppose Queen Victoria was quite a... Well, she was a bit of a trendsetter, wasn't she? She's got everyone sort of in black for years and years. So I'm going to go with her not liking green. No, I'm afraid not. The wallpaper did actually get a reputation for killing people. Now, the bright green came from copper arsenite, which contains arsenic. And rumours started circulating about people who had this green wallpaper and mysteriously died. They hadn't been eating the wallpaper, but theory gained traction that just having it around was enough. So wallpaper manufacturers stopped using it just in case, which seems like a sensible move. And do you know what? I live in a Victorian house and, I, and when I found out about this, pretty tight, quite tempted to start scratching through all the layers to see if there was one of those kind of scary greens underneath. Anyway, talking about paint colours, specifically the ingeniously named colours sold by Farrow and Ball. I have four names coming up. Three are real paints and one I've invented. So you have to spot the made up name. Is it Sap Green, Salon Drab, Mouse's Back or Badger's Breath? Oh my word. <laughs> they all sound made up. But the thought of calling a colour drab seems like a really bad marketing move. So I'm going to say Salon Drab has been made up. No, it hasn't. They do seem to have embraced drab as a fashion choice. Who knew? It's actually Badger's Breath, although there is one called Elephant's Breath and one called Mole's Breath, so I wouldn't rule it out. In fact, I actually think I've got some Elephant's Breath here in the broom cupboard up on the shelf. So there we are. On to furniture. 
In 2014, Christie's Auction House sold the most expensive piece of furniture of all time. It was an ebony cabinet inlaid with stones known as the Badminton Cabinet, for the very boring reason that the owner lived in badminton. But how much did it sell for? Was it $12 million, $24 million, or $36 million? Ooh, well, I guess if it's the most expensive of all time, it's bound to be the most expensive option. So uh, I'm going to go with the most expensive, although with my luck, I'm not totally convinced I'm right. You are right. It was $36 million. It was sold by an heiress to the Johnson & Johnson fortune, bought by a prince of Liechtenstein and sold to the Liechtenstein Museum in Austria. So if you're really keen to see it, you can pop in next time you're there. And do you know what? Our producer... Elizabeth has just acquired an Austrian passport, so perhaps she might be the first to go and see it. I think she's probably uh, probably given the only one who pops it. I doubt I'd go all the way to Austria for a cabinet, but um, in fact, I don't even think I'd go as far as badminton. But at least I got one right. I got one right at the end of the quiz. You did get one correct answer, but you are back to one correct answer, so you didn't do quite as well as the previous few episodes. We'll just have to stick with chocolate and cake next time. <laughs> That is all from us this time. But before we go, we do need to remind you that this was recorded on the 12th of April 2022 and all information was correct at the time of recording. Nothing in this podcast is personal advice. You should seek advice if you're not sure what's right for you. Investments rise and fall in value so you could get back less than you invest and past performance isn't a guide to the future. Yes, this is not advice or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any investment. No view is given on the present or future value or price of any investment and investors should form their own view on any proposed investment. And this hasn't been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research and is considered a marketing communication. Non-independent research is not subject to FCA rules prohibiting dealing ahead of research. However, HL has put controls in place, including dealing restrictions, physical and information barriers to manage potential conflicts of interest presented by such dealing. You can see our full non-independent research disclosure on our website for more information. So all that's left is for me to thank our guests, Phil, Alex, Sophie, Emma and our producer, Elizabeth Hodson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again soon. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know what you think and do subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you get a fresh new episode in your inbox as soon as it's ready. Goodbye. <laughs>